You're listening to Medicine for the Resistance. So, yeah, so we're here with Helen Knott, author of In My Own Moccasins, which I have within arm's reach. And as strange as this sounds, I love the size of the book. Mm. Like, I don't know if that, like, what kind of editorial decision was involved in that, because you can see it's kind of little um, compared to other books that are, like, bigger. I just, I loved the size of it. It's just so nice to hold in my hand and read. It's, I don't even, I don't know. That's just such yeah, a big part. There were a lot of things that I liked about your memoir. It just feels really weird to focus on the size of the book. It just, it was just, it was, it's unusual. And it I was just conscious. It. it was yeah. conscious. Yeah, the smaller one, it was like pocket size, meant to be more intimate. The paperback one though is like, larger normal size but the hardcover is like that mini mini size it's really raw in you you, you know and, and I mean on Ambe we just we talked about memoirs last month and, and how intimate and personal they are and that's because it's not just our lives right when we're talking memoir we're sharing other people's lives and people that, you know, maybe should have behaved better. <laughs> I saw that somebody had commented that on Twitter was, you know, when you're talking about, you know, tell your story. If people wanted to be remembered better, they should have behaved better. Um, I mean, this is probably like the question you get all of the time. But can you talk a little bit about the memoir process, about what it's like to, to be out there in this way that a memoir puts you? Yeah. Um, that quote about somebody, if they wanted to be remembered better, they should behave better. That's an Anne Lamott quote. Cause I'm very much like, okay. yeah, I talked about history and my, my parents' history, but also had their blessing to move forward. And so feeling okay with that and being like, okay. Um, and as long as I had their okay and my auntie's okay, then I was fine. I was like, all right, you know, this is, that's all the affirmation that I need is like mm -hmm. that go ahead. And, um, and because I've taken that stance and not included things depending on where people's healing journeys are at too. So there was like information that I didn't include because I was like, they're still healing and this would disrupt it. And I'm not putting mm -hmm. that in there. And then I was like, yeah. And then there's that other viewpoint, like then people should have behaved better. And I was like, you just gotta want to know where you stand and then stand there and own that. <laughs> like I was like, cause either answer is okay. Right. <laughs> um, and then just own it to the best of your ability. And with this being out there, like I'm doing the audio book for this a little late, but I'm doing it now. And um, because I haven't read through the book in a really long time, I'm like, Oh, I did put a lot of stuff in here. Like, wow. I'm feeling a little raw myself. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Um, and I think a part of it, it just made me feel a little bit uneasy um, and, and scared, right? Scared at the beginning of putting it out in the world and knowing that, yeah, there would be, you know, judgments that would come with that. And that's okay because I've experienced those in my life to some degree already, like throughout my life, not just within this stuff, but then um, 
beyond that, when I was doing like land-based work and was kind of like a, a known face for um, a struggle for a piece of land. Um, and so being used to kind of getting like backlash and or really harsh criticism and sometimes really racist commentary <laughs> being like, I've already been there. Um, and so when it came to this book, being worried, um, but also feeling really hopeful. And I can remember the first time I got a message from a young woman um, who read my book and was like, you know, this is what I need. And it helped me feel more free. And then I read it to my grandma because she can't see. So I read it out loud to her. And I was like, okay, if this is the only one I get, but it has served its purpose and I can be happy and like rest in that knowledge. So I love this. Now, I have not quite read the book, but I am being titillated to open into this space. I'd be curious to hear a little bit about the story. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is the grandeur of this memoir as you speak to it? So the story is ultimately like one about healing. And I think like I wanted to include a look at how, um, I guess violence can be passed on generationally, but also silence and then how it's reinforced throughout society um, in terms of, of like slut shaming and or other things like that. And it affirms like keeping quiet and or it's your fault. Um, and then how that intersects with um, racialized bodies, the bodies that are, are othered um, and what that looks like and what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And then coming through and, and healing from that through culture and ceremony. And there's, I liked the cyclical nature of it. I mean, that's something, I mean, I'm reading a bunch of books for tomorrow night's um, book club conversation and, and um, Chanda Prescott-Weinstein talks about um, circular time and linear time. <clears throat> and how we have this idea of linear progress, right? You know, past, present, future. And yet even Facebook reminds me of things that things that I did when I last passed this part, you, you, you know, the sun from this particular angle. Even Facebook seems to have a more cyclical sense of time, you know, than, than, than we do. You know, but healing is like that. Healing is not this kind of linear, I was hurt, I was mad, you know, I progressed through the stages, through, you know, through the stages of grief and trauma, and I came out the other side, and now everything is fine. And, and your story, you talk about kind of, you know, this back and forth where you did really well for a little while, and then you didn't do well, you seem to be like from the outside, people would have thought everything was fine. But then it turned out that it, it actually wasn't and things would go, you, you know, kind of went off the rails again. And I really liked that. I mean, I, I'm sure that that wasn't great to live, but I, I really liked the fact of it because that's so true. And I think that we do people a disservice when we present them with these linear stories because we all fall down. Mm -hmm. And then what are we supposed to do with that when we've been told that, you, you know, we've gone to ceremony enough times and now we're healed. And sometimes ceremony mm -hmm. is just a safe place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't like the the linear concepts of healing. And I heard a an interesting reframing of of like 
PTSD, like flashbacks. And they were saying, yeah, that's just time visiting. Like it's time visiting from that time. And that's all it is. It's a visit. And you can look at it and be kind and curious and not be afraid. And just kind of like looking at it differently. And with healing, knowing that it isn't, and it's funny because even um, the the addiction model, I guess, is in a circle too, right? And like relapse is a part of it. Like when you're preparing to change, sometimes you get out of that circle and then sometimes you come back and really learning how relapse is a part of recovery, not just with an addiction, but even if you're thinking about behavioral change, um, I know afterwards, like working on, you know, issues that I had with attachment and like trying to learn how to be in a relationship and not even just with, yeah, with myself, but also with other people and then realizing, oh yeah, you, you got to just focus on yourself. Um, <laughs> but knowing that behaviors and um, I guess like protective mechanisms that I had built in place, that that also happens in in cycles too, not just like, not a, a linear, okay, I'm going to change, but yeah, I sometimes revert back to those faces and I've learned to really hold myself in, um, compassion and being like, that's okay. If you have feelings surrounding this, it's okay to feel them. Let's create some space for that. It doesn't mean that you're at square one. It doesn't undo the healing that you did, did or like erase your foundation. So just learning how to really own that for myself. I was just thinking now you're really talking Carrie's language. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you, you can tell, right? Um, for me, I do a lot of work um, very much in being trauma informed. And a part of exactly what you said um, really resonates with me. The idea of understanding that our, our brains just instantly when we absorb or take in trauma, just automatically, we almost categorize things, right? And your, your, um, your primal system doesn't understand this concept of time or space. It just knows something has happened. And so when something in your universe or your dimension changes or switches that reminds you of that trauma, it will automatically do what it needs to do to protect you and to serve, right? And so when, when you are moving through the process of healing, right? It's just that, it is a process that is continued. And what came to mind is the Andinkra symbol um, in uh, Yoruba and African cultures, we have an Andinkra symbol that is a, it's called Gaya Nambe, and it is a spiral. And this spiral symbol I have been immediately drawn to because for me, it speaks of when we hit our, our challenges of life, when we hit these spaces that um, are afforded learning and growth, it comes in those layers, it comes like a spiral. And sometimes as you go through it the first time or the second time, you have one aspect of your healing or of your growth that is impacted. And as you move again over the course of that period of time or spiral in, you hit it again from another perspective and the opportunity to grow and to evolve is so brilliantly played out. So I, what I have found that over time, as I move through my own healing process, what I have found is that I can take all those different perspectives and see the problem from that new eyes. And that to me is also about 
our relations that we have with ourselves, with the divineness of our truth, with the universe and the ancestors. Because sometimes I'll go through something one or five times and I'll hear that ancestor's voice in my head going, you've seen this before now, what you gonna do? And, and those all encompassed and embodied help me to create a new beginning or a new change. So yeah, what you said really resonates with me. Yeah, it gave me like the chills there for a second because I was like, oh, that's what's happening because I'm doing the audio book for this book right now. And like saying everything out loud is so different. And I'm like, oh, why can't this book leave me alone? <laughs> Just because <laughs> I'm, I'm writing an, a new book, right? And I've cleared out space for myself to kind of move forward. And just last month, it was like all of these things happened, including like dreams. And it was like, hey, you know, you think you're you're in a good space, but you've still been carrying around some fractures and some wounds. And, you know, you've learned how to live with them because your pain tolerance was so high. But now it's time to look at that. And you're going to look at that. And I was wondering and talking about that today, I was like, this story won't leave me alone. And I know that it's like a new level of healing and that ties into the spiral thing, right? Like going through the same things and then coming out with more. Mm -hmm. And that made me excited hearing you say it like that. So thank you. I, I, I love that. Thank you. I also liked the way Carrie, you said, you talked about, you know, the ancestors, the ancestors voice back there saying, okay, so you've seen this before. Now, what are you going to do? So often when we talk about our ancestors, it's in the context of generational trauma, right? And we're talking, you know, and so we have, you know, we kind of develop this, I don't know, skewed relationship with them or perspective of them we see them as like these perpetually traumatized people that are with that that's what they've given us they've bequeathed this trauma to us and, and you know just the way you said that made me think that no I mean they did their own work because colonialism is a corrosive destructive mess but there was also tremendous healing and holding on to things and knowledge and strength and you know you know all all of that stuff too and we we need those both things in balance they're they're saying what are you going to do now you've been here you know what to do i see you do it <laughs> and then sometimes they're like oh again helen <laughs> again <laughs> oh i i love that <laughs> So once again, those layers, because, and with that too, you know, you mentioned something, Patty, right there that really resonates as well, is for me, when I know when I am working through my healing, you know, I am also doing the work for my ancestors. Mm. You know, a lot of the times when I hit those, those, you know, same kind of bumps, I recognize that it may not always be my stuff per se. Maybe it is that intergenerational space. And what for me that means is I get a little bit more quiet. I do take a moment to go within and I see who's murmuring in the background when we talk about our ancestral pain. Because it, I, I believe that as we, every generation 
as we come into our own awareness and move through the lessons of that space, it affects and heals those generations that are behind us, as well as this is the time that I can stop whatever those pains have been and move it forward for the generations that are to come. So they say that it's seven generations back and seven generations forward when we choose to do this work and stand in the power of who we are to make those changes, no matter how many how little they are or how often you got to come up against it, you're still making those changes. And that's powerful for me. That, that keeps me going as we continue this. Mm -hmm. You know, are you, Helen, are you, are you kind of, okay, so I'm from Lac Soul. Don't, don't live anywhere near home. Home for me is in Niagara. Are you, are, are you kind of at home? Like, I don't yeah. know. Your so own. I live in, I still live in Port St. John, that's where I grew up. And so this is Danaza territory, Danaza Cree, Metis, Soto. Um, and I'm four hours away from my home community. Um, but here is, is where our people are from. Okay, the reason the reason I ask. So I'm writing today, you know, I'm you know, working on my book and I'm typing away. And, and what came up was how when I went home the only way I can describe, like for the first time, the only way I can describe it is that the land remembered me. Carrie and I, we, we've mm -hmm. talked about this years ago, you know, when way back in the beginning of the podcast, we talked, we, we talked about, I remember this conversation and, and I mean, I hadn't grown up with these ideas, right? I, I mean, I grew up in an evangelical Christian home. Uh, I grew up with my mom's, you, you know, German Ukrainian family, um, not my dad's, um, Ojibwe family. So I didn't grow up with these ideas. So I don't know where this came from, but I had like this overwhelming feeling or sense that the land, that the land remembered me. So, you, you know, so that, that's, what's in my mind as I, as I'm listening to you and, you know, we're talking about ancestors and I'm thinking about what does it mean to be in relationship with things that are so much older than us right? The land, the trees, the water, like the land didn't just remember me. The land would have known my dad, my, you know, grandparents, great grandparents. And I don't know how many, you know, generations back that land knew all of us and the trees and the water. And, and so they would hold also the memory and the trauma and the feelings and the joys. So how is that, I guess, how does that play in for you? Does it? So I don't know. Am I being weird? No, um, land, like, I feel like as humans, we have like really pitiful memories, right? And so we have these like record keepers and the spirits around us that show up in, in water, in land, in medicine. Um, my girlfriend went through a similar experience, I think last year when she was in Northern Saskatchewan and she was raised here, but her family's from um, Big Stone. And she's like, I can't explain it, but it felt like I was like going home. And I was like, well, and she felt kind of sheepish. And I was like, no, sweetheart, like the land remembers, those spirits remember, and they know who you are. And that's how you can have that feeling of coming home or being there. And you can own that. Um, and then for me, because I have lost my, my mom and my grandma recently, oh, and I'll go down to the water sometimes. And I think like this water, like when I lay tobacco or say prayers, I'm like this water also holds that memory of them mm -hmm. and it knows and it knows that I am Junie's granddaughter it knows that I am Charlie's great-granddaughter it knows me 
And it's almost like my ability to stay connected to them is connected through, through land because the land also knows them. And it's a way of staying close because it almost feels like um, when they're gone, that's all I have left of them, <laughs> right? Is, is the land and the water and the memories that are tied there. Um, and grateful to the land and the water and the medicines for holding that memory for me as well. And that's very much a part and I know sometimes, and it feels like the water calls me, like the river here. And I'm like, okay, like I'll come and visit. But it's sometimes it's like, hey, where you been? <laughs> How come you haven't come in a while? Like, and come and bring gifts or whatever it is you do. And so I know because I can feel those feelings um, throughout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is just profound. And, um, I really am enjoying this conversation. There's a there's an intimacy that uh, I feel is is brewing here, and and I I personally would love to just talk about that a little bit. When you came into this space where this memoir memoir was brewing and and coming forward, what brought you to know that it had to be like it just you had to get that out. I was in a bathtub and I was like in the space of prayer <laughs> and I was just like chilling. And then it came with that instruction of just like, write. And I was like, okay. And so I got out of the bathtub and I wrote 10 pages of what, like that, those 10 pages ended up expanding and becoming like the first section of the book. Um, and then I wrote after that and kept kind of writing here and there when I could, cause it just felt like this is what you're supposed to do and following that and not knowing really, and then showing up at the Banff Center with 30 pages and like, I wanna write a book. <laughs> and still not really knowing what that looked like. Um, and then following that throughout. And I really, you know, I feel like my life has been about um, purpose and following whatever's lead. And sometimes I go begrudgingly and I'm like, no, why did you do that? <laughs> like, why are you leading me this way? <laughs> But ultimately, you know, having that, that trust and that humility, and that's carried me through so much because I'm like, it's not up to me. And over my writing space, which this is my writing space on the wall, I have creator, I will take care of the quantity, you take care of the quality. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, I just need to show up and put in that time. And I am trusting you because you led me here to make it enough. And I'll sit down to write and I'll tell my mom and my grandma you know, in the spirit world, I'm like, okay, girls, I'm like, I can't do this by myself. I'm asking you to show up. So I ask them to show up in the work that I do. Um, and so that kind of touches back to what Patty was saying in terms of like the ancestors telling you, and I'm like, okay, show up for me because I need you. I need you to be here with me and trusting that they, they will. So. Hmm. That's really nice. I think I need that on my wall. I've got like a little tiny space and I need that and you know that quality quantity thing because I get, I get really hung up on it being perfect and wanting it to be exact and wanting it you know and, and revising and revising and revising and then I read another book and I'm like oh my god those ideas need to get in here and then I go back and I revise again and that's not okay events it's, it's a snapshot of a moving of a, 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 a thing in motion and I gotta 
I got, I have, I have to constantly remind myself of that and being okay with the fact that it's a snapshot of a moving target. Target feels like the wrong word, but it's a snapshot of some, of something in motion that it's not, it's not who I always have to be. It's a snapshot of this moment in time, these things that I'm thinking and, and ideas that I'm connecting. So what are you working on now? Let's um, let that story not bother you for a little while. <laughs> um, working I'm working on a book called Becoming a Matriarch. So this is dealing with like the grief and loss of, of my mom and my grandma, um, but also learning how to step into that role because I am, and it was funny, I heard someone describe themselves the other day. They're like, I'm not a matriarch. I'm the baby of the baby. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I am my grandma's youngest daughter's youngest daughter. She said, I'm not a matriarch because I am the baby of the baby within my family. And then I looked, cause I was already thinking of like the role I was moving into. I was like, oh, you know, I'm the firstborn granddaughter <laughs> and the firstborn daughter of my mom. And I was like, okay, yeah, you really are becoming a matriarch. And so figuring out what that looks like, but also untying things that have been there um, in terms of like codependency within my family and stepping into my mom's role and realizing, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> like for one, I'm not my mom. <laughs> for two, you know, we had a lot of things that were not well in, in that regard in terms of, I came from women who gave everything of themselves to the family and kept nothing for themselves and even dealing with the guilt surrounding like taking more time and space but it's also this opportunity for me to tell softer stories um and different moments of learning and teachings from my grandma and my mom and I'm looking forward to that to be able to tell you know even though it is lost but softer stories can you tell us a story about your grandma? Yeah, um, so my grandma used to live with me. And when she lived with me, I remember one time because my son was like three or four then and her hearing was going in her sight. And I was like crying one day at the table because I think I just fought with my son and I was like, oh, like I can't, I don't know what I'm doing and crying. And my grandma comes over and she's like, what's wrong, my girl? I said, grandma, I just lost my patience. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. She nodded her head. And then I watched her shuffle over and she's wearing her like floor length pajama, the like colorful gown, right? And she's opening the, the drawers and looking around. And I said, grandma, what are you doing? I'm looking for your painting. Where did you put it? <laughs> no, grandma, my patience. So a lot of cute things just like that. And, you know, I, I still napped with my grandma, you know, even in her hospital bed, I would go there during the day when I had time off and lay beside her and she would tell me stories and we would joke around and she'd be like, are you tired? Sleep my girl. And I would just like, okay. And like rest beside her. And so for me, the women in my life, including my mom, because it was the same with my mom, provided that sense of um, safety and rest where I was like, the world can be chaos and I can go to them and they were such, and still are in the spirit world, such an instrumental part of me being able to give myself to the world and, or be brave because 
they created those spaces for me. That's really beautiful. What a great, what great memories to hold and things to give your son. Cause you get a little, how old is he now? He's 13. Oh my gosh. I feel like this book was so long ago because he was a baby. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was young then. Now he's 13 and he's taller than me. He likes to remind me. <laughs> I was like, I can see that you're five ten. Okay. <laughs> doesn't mean a thing either. Just because you're five ten, it doesn't mean a thing. I still, I still am mama. And I, I love, grown. right. I'm loving this. I am. It, it really um, speaks to once again, what comes up for me is, is this idea of lineage, lineage and ancestry and how, um, and legacy and how, as you told that such a tender, it was such a tender story about your grandmother. And I could see how that tendril flows into how even the sensation and the feeling that you have with your mother, that lineage would have been passed down, that tendency was passed down. And as you so mentioned, Patty, now as you're 5'10", but still your baby, your son, has this opportunity to be able to tap into the greatness of that truth, of this, this, this legacy of women that offered this soft, gentle safety into the reality of your truth that you are now trying to find your way in. Do you know what I mean? As you, and does that resonate with you? Does that speak to you? This idea now of, sorry, this idea now of you stepping into this idea of matriarch what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, and that's it, is figuring out what does that look like for me and how does that look? Because in my family, um, the women were at those safe spaces, but they also held all of the emotional burdens and kept them from the men. <laughs> like, and I was talking with my auntie because we have a lot of talks around this. I was like, and like they got emotionally crippled because we wouldn't allow them to bear that weight or to witness it. And it was almost like it was expected though of us and even like my, my cousins, my younger cousins, my aunties, because they were all strong women that we were the ones to, to walk in that way, that we could handle the truth. We had lived through things, not saying that the men didn't because they also lived through hard things, um, but they didn't talk about it. And we kept it away from them. Even I, I think of like the loss of my mom. Um, I was the only one who talked about, you know, the possibility of her leaving the world, talked about funeral protocols with her. My dad didn't even do that. And when she did pass, I feel like the boys and the men in my family had their legs taken out from under them. And so for me, it's like watching and being like, how do I do this differently? What does that look like? How do I create um, communication skills and, and even holding emotional space for my son and knowing that there's skills and building it that way. So with him, we've done like um, mock settings because he would get really awkward and being, because I was like, you're going to have to know this. Like you might have a girlfriend one day. She, she's going to cry at some point. You're going to have to be there. And practice, I can have my little cousin over and she's a teenager. I'm like, hey, Courtney, pretend to cry. And then my son will be like, oh, like they're there. And 
And now he's stiff, not so stiff like that anymore. Now he can be more present. And so trying to build on that with him. Um, and then within my larger family, uh, I still have to remind myself sometimes because my dad, I was trying to, I wanted to get him new glasses because my dad never buys himself anything new. Um, and my youngest brother's 13. And before we were his excuse, like he's like, I'm raising kids. And I was like, you have one child at home. You can get yourself new glasses. Um, and then I messaged him from the optometrist and I was like, I'm making you an appointment. He, like, I'll pay for it, whatever. And then I messaged him back. I was like, actually, I'm not because I, you're an adult. <laughs> I was like, and I'm sorry, because that was my fault for doing that <laughs> and catching myself um, because, you know, it's, it's been different. And with my mom being gone and me being the eldest and the daughter, uh, he's relied on me for a lot. And I've had to set that boundary with him, which is sometimes hard. And I remember this, this night where I finally became a care apparent that I couldn't carry on the way that it was. Cause I kept asking for help and then finally just kind of like broke. And this was in December. And my dad was like, you know, I'm really sorry. I do understand that I, I probably place too much of my burdens on you. And there are things that I need to, to hold on to. And I was like, thanks dad. And then the next day he asked me to do like five different things from like dropping off food and then like picking up a charger. And I was like, okay, at least we got out of the denial part, but change is, it does, it's not linear. <laughs> I'm like, we'll get there. And, uh, but since then created so much space for myself and, um, and I can feel, and this is the thing I can feel my mom's joy when I'm, I'm happy because I'm happy and I can feel her joy come through me. And I'll have these little side talks of being like, oh, here we go today or whatever. And I could feel things like the unlived lives of my mom and my grandma coming alive through me. And I can feel their happiness and those bits of, of liberation as well. And it feels amazing. Because hmm. that's something, you know, um, that Carrie and I have talked about basically from the very beginning of our friendship it is, you, you know, how we how we hold on to the past in a, in a good way to bring those stories forward so that our kids know who they are. So that when our kids come up against stuff, because our kids are going to come up against stuff, um, you know, but they're going to come up against colonial stuff. They're going to come up against racist stuff. They're going to come up against our own internalized stuff, you know, and, and as they know these stories and they know the people, cause they know the people through the stories. And just to think like my, my grandma passed recently, um, and, and just thinking of her life, maybe it wasn't that recent. I don't know. It feels recent. Um, I mean, she was born in 1919 and she lived a hundred years. Yeah. My mom, this is my mom's mom. Um, so she had firsthand knowledge of the Russian revolution. She was born in, she was born in the Ukraine in a German colony in the Ukraine. So she had firsthand knowledge. And so these were the stories that she would tell me of her experience of the Russian revolution. And that's, you know, and that just pulls the past so close to the present because now my kids who knew her because like she lived to be 101 years old. So my kids born in, you, you know, the late 20th century, you know, 
<laughs> you know, they were all born in the, you know, born in the late 80s, early 90s, have firsthand knowledge from her of the Russian Revolution. And she had information from her grandmother of 50 years before that. So like these families and these connections were tied to things from 150 years ago that we heard firsthand, you know, or maybe secondhand, you know, from somebody. And that's like, just to, you know, that's cyclical time, right? Because that's not a linear thing. That's that time being present and then giving it to our kids. And maybe that's, maybe that's part of what being a matriarch is, is taking these stories and passing them, you know, and passing them on. I don't want to say intact because we change them as, you know, they change as we carry them. And I think we're okay. I think as indigenous peoples, we're more okay with it than Christians are. <laughs> it has to be like capital T truth. <laughs> it has to exist in a, in a certain way. Um, but we have to be careful. We have to be gentle with stories because we don't want to like smash them and force them, you know, force them into something just because it suits, it suits our moment. I don't know. I'm wandering a lot in my thinking because you're making think, me think a lot of things. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I can tell you're processing. You're just unpacking yeah, all yeah. of this, this juicy depth of thought and experience. And just even just to take on what you were saying, because it's causing me to do a little thinking too. I, I I think about how those stories, you know, when you your 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 grandmother Patty, I've always I read that thread when you were paying homage to her um, at her transition over to the ancestral side, and I thought her story was just so incredible. And for me when we talk about this, the sense of how do we stand in the matriarchy, when I think about that, that untenable strength that your grandmother exhibited and emanated, just to be able to survive and to get through those periods of time, we know that that imprints on the space of who we are, right? Those stories that she tells make us stand up a little taller. You know, my grandma did that. My mama did that, what? I come from that line. And so as you hear the stories, as we take those ends in, they are us, right? And what I think is so beautiful as we move forward with that as our package maybe, you know? We get now to unwrap those layers and, and choose, choose those pieces as we want it to stand up for us in our evolution of this idea of matriarch. I know it's the same thing for me. My grandmother was this fierce and incredible woman. And yet she, we, we, everybody called her data. And the reason why is because I'm not, I think it was one of my, my great aunts used to call her, she, she used to watch everybody's baby Everybody used to bring their babies to my, my grandmother to watch. And uh, one of my, it was my cousin. It was one of my great, my cousins, sorry. She um, called her out at seven months. You know, they all called Dada, Dada, Dada. And for whatever reason, the name stuck because no matter where my grandmother would go, my little cousin would follow her. 
So we called her Dada from then onwards. And what was so amazing is even as she came here into her 60s, we that she was the family nanny babysitter. We all sat at my grandmother's knee and all the stories came in and you could mess with none of us. She had like, there's like 30 of us of her grandchildren that exist. And every single one of us at some point in time has spent an integral part at her knee. And so that legacy now, I have grandchildren. And when I watch my two that I've got present and then the four that I do have, I sit down and I, I, I think, what would Dada do? You know, how does Dada stand in that? And I'll say, okay, Dada, I understand when you did this, this, and this. Now that legacy continues. And I am now the matriarch on this end, even though my mama is the OG matriarch, ain't nobody bigger than mama, five foot nothing, but she, she is the matriarch. I pay homage, but I know what that legacy is gonna stand with. And so, as you were saying, those pieces, the, the, the textures and fabrics that come in from the stories that we garner, from the love that we experience, allow us, I think it's such an interesting place that you're in to be now talking about defining what that matriarchal space is gonna look like for you. It's powerful. I think um, when I'm listening to both of you talk, I think of, there's this, I don't know what the name is, but there's a particular medicine that I remember my grandma pointing out to me and she picked it and um, it's used to be packed into wounds and it'll stop bleeding. And she gave it to me and she said, okay, rub it between your fingers and I want you to smell it. She said, remember what that smells like and what it feels like. And that's what it's used for. And then later showing my son and I think of these, these simple actions of relaying knowledge. And I'm like, when I show my son, I think of my grandma, right? So that activates that memory. And I'm like, I wonder who my grandma thought of when she showed this mm -hmm. to me. And you think of these things, even with your data, like who, if, did she have someone else in mind, right? When she was practicing these things. Who knows and how we're connected beyond what we're even aware of. And then with my son, in terms of like when we say time or whatever, um, the journey isn't linear. When I give him teachings or practices, um, I know that I won't see them show up right away. Like sometimes they will, he'll integrate them, sometimes they won't. But for me as a mom, I really place my trust in I'm giving him these this knowledge and these experiences. And when he's ready, it might not be until he's in his 20s or whenever, he's going to reflect back and be like, what did mom do with me to do this? When I'm, I'm feeling this way, what was I supposed to do? What medicine does this? And trust that this knowledge will show up later in his life. So it's like literally like planting those seeds, knowing that they'll come to fruition, probably at another point. And I just lay my faith in that. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this work that will show up long-term, but having those discussions, right, of, of telling history and telling those stories and, and things that I had to work for because they weren't necessarily told to me um, mm -hmm. right off the bat and reclaiming that and then being like, now the boys, and I say the boys because my youngest brother's 13, so they're the same age. I'm like, the boys, I'll be like, quick, 
what year did grandpa sign the treaty in? And like, we'll do these like little mini quizzes. <laughs> so. I love that idea of we had said about, you know, having somebody in their mind and that we're connected, you know, we're, we're connected to relatives whose, you know, the, the names are gone, but we're still connected to them. You, you know, kind of through this hand over hand, you know, they're back there too, knowing, like watching you teach your son, you, you know, this medicine and, you know, 10, 20 years from now, he's going to be doing that too, going for a walk. Now for me, I'm learning this stuff from my son. My, my, son's, the one, my son's the one who's teaching me. Um, Cause I talk about connection with land and stuff. And he's like, mom, you have to actually go outside. He's <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> you can read braiding sweetgrass all day long, but eventually you have to go outside. <laughs> you know? And, and he'll, and he shows me, right. And he shows me and he's built us this garden and he's, he's so cute because he plants things that don't take a lot of work <laughs> because he knows that we're not going to go out there and do all of the work. Um, but he does like, you know, so he's the one who's teaching me. Okay. And this is nettles and this is what you're going to do with it. And, and these are, you, you know, and you have all this dogwood and this is what, you know, when we were stripping bark, you know, from dogwood and larch and, you know, so he's the one who, he's the one who's teaching me, which, which is really kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> because yeah, cause I mean, I didn't grow up with that, you, you know, with that knowledge, my, you know, um, my, my granny, my, my dad's mom Lula you know she's I didn't even know where she was while I was growing up it turned out she was just in Thunder Bay she wasn't even that far away um you know so I didn't have so it's kind of neat to me that it is coming through Ben you know that he's the one who who's picking up these bundles and that's you know what the the seventh fire the eighth fire they're gonna they're, they're gonna pick they're gonna pick up what was lost and so it's really cool to me to watch him do it and, and become a language speaker you, you know him and his partner both learn learning the language and we still have things labeled all around the house from when he was living with us <laughs> these labels everywhere as he's labeling things so that we'll so so that we'll know so that we'll know the words are have you learned or, or do you know the language are you learning the language is that something it's so much it's so hard it's really hard I know more Danaza than Cree. Mm -hmm. So Danaza is my maternal language and that's because I was around my maternal family. Um, well, the key phrase, one of the key phrases that I learned was a, a Julie Dezu, which means like, you don't have a man yet. <laughs> <laughs> which I would reply, a Juwujo Dezu, like there's no good men, uh, nothing. Um, so yeah, I know just the basics like animals, the land features, that type of thing. I could generally tell what part of my grandma's body ached or different things like that. I could tell my son to eat, be quiet and sleep. <laughs> um, but that's about the, the extent of it so far. Yeah, it's really, it's hard. And we, we talked with Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Vowell about, cause she, she's a Cree language teacher. Um, and what she had talked about that in, in a lot of language classes, they don't, um, it's important to acknowledge the grief that's associated with language learning. You know, the grief and the loss and, and to process that through with the students because there's a reason we don't speak our language. We're not just there to learn Spanish because we're going on a vacation, right? Yeah. Even the act of language learning is an acknowledgement of grief. It's an acknowledgement. 
uh, combo, and this kind of connects to something earlier that Carrie said too. I had a combo with one of my friends, I think two weeks ago, because she's actively trying to learn Cree and wants to raise her son with that. But she's like, I go, we go to the park and there's so much that I can't say, that I can't tell him in the language. And, and she's like, and I just, you know, I wanted to be fluent by now and I'm not. And she was like crying and got really hard on herself. And I was like, okay, so one, I was like super hard on yourself too. <laughs> I was like, let's look at this. I said, cause this grief that you're experiencing, I was like, it's probably not all yours. I said, you're probably carrying that for your family as well because none of your mom or your aunties are fluent speakers. And that's what Carrie said that sometimes what we carry isn't all ours. And even in relation to grief over things like that, I'm like, that's not just ours. You know, that's a shared, not even just within our family, sometimes tribal as well, like a whole community or nation that you're carrying some of that grief and learning how to process it and, and not judge it and just make some space for it. Right. And being like, okay, you know, this is what I'm feeling. And then um, one thing that I like to ask beyond that is like, well, what shows up to help me? What, what medicine show up as a helper to help me through this? Or what does that look like? And what do I need? And, but that's a really, a real thing. Not even just in that, like when I went through the, the loss of my grandma and my mom, um, a loss of grieving protocol and feeling so lost and, and wanting things that were mine and not having things that I knew were mine to walk through that. Cause I have, you know, some friends that come from different tribes that have those protocols in place. They know what to do. They have ceremonies and, and different things and not having that and just feeling this absence of, of that. And there's this, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a movie called Wind River. Mm. And um, in it, there's a man who who lost his daughter and the guy goes to see him and he's sitting out in his backyard in the snow and he has his face painted. Like, I think it's two different colors. And the guy looked at him kind of like, okay, like what's going on? And he's like, this is my death face. And then he's quiet and he says, actually, I don't know if this is what my people did, but I don't know what they did. And I had to do something. And I, and I watched that when I was grieving. Cause I was like, I remembered that. And I watched him just to say, hear him say that. Cause I was like, I know what that feels like, <laughs> you know, to be that dad sitting in the snow, not knowing. And it comes up in so many different areas of our lives. And I think a big part is just acknowledging that sometimes it's not all, all ours, right. And figuring out where does that come from? Hmm. Well, and I know that's something that Carrie's talked about a lot the not knowing because you, you know, being part of the black diaspora. It, it resonates so, so deeply as you were speaking that something inside of me just was just leaping out going. Yes. Cause I feel that and hold that deeply. I, I recognize that sometimes I'll just go through my day and there's that space of longing and loss and I can't always place mm. it. Right. I can't always place what that is, but I recognize that it is something that is so far deeper than myself. It is the, the deep mourning of a peoples, of my peoples, from our disconnection from land. We're oceans away from where we should be and not even having an idea of what direction that land is from. And, you know, 
for I know for most African people who have been scattered through the diaspora, even the idea of claiming back, that idea of us taking that stance that yes, we are from there, doesn't feel real or you receive backlash from it because that isn't been, that hasn't been our truth, right? And so that disconnect is such a wounding that we have yet to unpack. And I get the idea of when it was so profound, I, I'm gonna look up that movie, like the idea of not knowing, um, but knowing you must do something, I think resonates with so many of us. And it is the acknowledgement of it that makes it tangible, that makes it palatable to be able to move into these spaces, these conversations, these ways of reclaiming, of reclamation. You know, it may not be identical, but there is this memory somewhere deep inside, just even that knowing that you have to do something. And so to me, that's where the legacy continues, and now is recognizing that. We've talked a lot about, you know, that you don't need to be indigenous to belong here. Right, we've talked we, we've talked a lot about that, and so Carrie, as you were talking about that, I was hearing in, in my mind, I was hearing Helen asking what medicine shows up. So, as a way of developing belonging in this place, when you're feeling that loss and that grief, and I don't know what to, you know, and we don't know what to do, what medicine here is showing up for you? I honor that. that I know for me, forming belonging in this place. It's all I love that. what medicine is offering itself to you to say, here, this is what you need. I move to the water a lot. Yeah. I will find myself yeah. going to the water and just standing on the banks of our Lake Ontario <laughs> and, and offering the space to Yamaya. Who is the Yoruba goddess for the ocean? Mm. Yes, and <laughs> and and you know it's not the ocean, but I know it flows into one. <laughs> you know, sooner or later we make our way back, and and that's one of my spaces to be in the calmness of that, to be in the gentleness of that, and to create in that way. And so I am so grateful to even hear you speak that into my being, to to mention and to honor me with the, the knowing that what medicines show up is beautiful because it is a space I know where sometimes we, I, I, you know, we, I know it's hard, like there's that displacement. So I, I think that that is so beautiful that you offer and honor me in that thought and keeping that thought front and center. Yeah. And think of like what you were saying in terms of like, that that feeling and needing to do something but there's something over here that's like I don't know if it's a a, a memory in terms of blood or something over here that would be almost I don't know if it would be instruction but I think of this um little boy and he's silk and his mom was talking to him about the language and she's like you know what if I didn't know anything to teach you and what if it was you know it could have been lost and he's like we would just dream it mom he's like we would dream it back into existence and sometimes I think, you know, what does that look like when we really operate from that place of trust in terms of intuition and messages and those other things? Because sometimes they come through, right? 
-hmm. and it'll be ancestor or whatever. And you're like, that's crazy. No. (laughs) And you don't want to listen or it feels weird or you feel kind of sheepish in terms of following what that can look like. Um, And I've done that several times where I'm like, okay, that seems a little bit crazy, but I'll try it. Okay. I'll do that. Okay. I'll trust that. Um, And especially the dream world is that space for me too, where those types of things shows up or show up in terms of like direction and or messages and or whatever. Um, And knowing people who also dream about, you know, plants and medicines and, and things like that. And knowing that it, some of these things that we feel disconnected and lost from can also show up in ways that we don't necessarily we might not connect it back almost if that makes sense that they, they're still there right and sometimes it'll just be like little pushes or nudges or or things like that so. we would just dream it love that isn't that just the greatest dream right? i loved this talk i i you know this one for me as i said this was um this really was intimate. And I, I so am grateful for this opportunity. And I'll share something with you. What, what I find is so powerful for me from this conversation is that I had been asking for a moment to just ca- to quiet and asking for the next steps. Touch, I, I've been running around a little bit, so not tapping in. And it's, it's, it's real. And what this conversation is bringing to mind, and I hear the ancestors in nattering in the background here going, you see, it is time to quiet down and just open up to us. We're here for you. And I appreciate you for the reminder. I appreciate this conversation for taking me back and to know that it is so okay to tap in because the answers we already know, they're there. We just have to be ready to listen and hear it. We'll dream them. Let's dream them. I love that. I love it. Thank you so much, Helen. Yes. This was lovely. I just really needed this today. Yeah. It was just really too. Yeah, it was good. It was just like this one of those beautiful, like healing conversations, getting down to the real stuff and having those openings and being those reminders because, you know, this conversation with you two was also a reminder for me. And I'm grateful for that because I don't, obviously COVID, but um, just in in general, I don't get a lot of spaces for that because most of my people anyways, like live far away. Mm -hmm. So thank you both for for creating space for this conversation to happen. You can find Medicine for the Resistance on Facebook and the website www.med4r.com. Don't forget to rate, share, and support us by buying us a coffee at www.ko-fi.com slash medicine for the resistance. You can also support the podcast and so much more by going to patreon.com slash payyourrent. You can follow Patty on Twitter at G-I-N-D-A-A-N-I-S and at danish.ca, D-A-A-N-I-S dot C-A. You can follow Carrie at K-E-R-R-Y-O-S-C-I-T-Y, that's Curiosity, 
and find her online at kerrygoring.com. Our theme is fearless. <laughs>